Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Last week I began the book of Joshua, and today I want to focus on the person of Joshua, because from his life we learn some things that are applicable to our lives and to the leadership of the church. His given name was Hosea, but Moses changed his name to Yahshua, which means God saves. He was a witness to all the miracles and plagues that took place in Egypt, and a year after the Exodus, he had already established himself as Moses' aide and even accompanied him up Mount Sinai as he received the law. He was one of the 12 spies that went into Cana, and when they came back, he was one of two spies that gave a good report. He and Caleb said, the land is indeed wonderful and abundant. Let's take it, for the Lord is with us. However, there were 10 spies that gave a bad report and said, we can't take the land. The people believed the other 10 spies, and Israel had to wander the wilderness for the next 40 years. Only Joshua and Caleb survived those 40 years in the wilderness. As Moses approached death, both Moses and God affirmed Joshua as Moses' successor. The people followed Joshua. They obeyed him. He led the people successfully to take the promised land. And throughout his life, he distinguished, his man, distinguished himself as a man of faith, obedience, and courage. He sought God, he heard from God, and he did what God said. Now, Joshua was 80 years old when he became the leader of Israel. So think of an 80-year-old person. Do you know anyone who's 80? So now you can kind of picture how old Joshua was. You kind of think of him as a, a young man, but he's actually an older man by the time he becomes leader of Israel. And notice Joshua did not say to God what I hear some 80-year-olds say. God, I'm too old to serve. God, don't you know it's time for me to slow down? God is no respecter of age. There's only one time in our life when God says to someone, all right, you don't have to serve me anymore. And when God says that, it's time for him to take you home. And so regardless of our age, God calls us to serve. Now, I know why some people would say that. They, they would, might say that I am limited in some way. But I believe that the retirement years can be one of the most productive years in a person's life as far as service to the Lord is concerned. When you're younger, you have to put a lot of time in on the job. You're busy raising a family. You hardly have time for anything else. 
And so I could see why some people would say, man, I just can't serve. But after you're retired, you have some free time. You have wisdom. You have experience. These are things that you can offer to the Lord and to his kingdom. There are some things that I think that older people are especially gifted at and called to do. One is to mentor younger people. We have in the works a plan that will probably launch um, next fall, but we are wanting to match college students with mentors in the area where they are majoring or want to pursue a career. College students are desperate and hungry for mentors. And we have people here who have done their careers, done them successfully, can apply wisdom to all of life, and who could mentor these people to um, excel in their jobs, but also excel at life, and perhaps even um, invite them to church or tell them about the Lord. We have the IASIS Center built and running. Soon, tutoring services will go out from that place. Do you remember how to do algebra? Some of you engineers, you could be a tutor. An officer has time to uh, help in the church in a more expanded way as either an officer or a member of a mission team. And uh, there's such a thing called business as mission. Most of the missionaries that we are sending into unreached countries, you can't get into that country with a missionary visa. But, but you can go in as a business person starting a business in that country. Missionaries need coaching on how to start a business. They need coaching as they run their business. There are people who could coach missionaries on how to do business as mission. In fact, John Maurer, a member of our church, is the EPC's representative for business as mission. And if you're interested in that, I can hook you up with John. We can all do something to serve the Lord. And even if we feel like we are limited in some way, there is something all of us can do. And that is we can pray. And retired folks have some time where they can pray. And perhaps nothing is more productive in the kingdom of God than the intercession of the saints. So perhaps you might say to yourself, okay, in these years of my life, I will take up the ministry of intercession. I'll intercede for my family, for the church, for the church's efforts throughout the world. And if you want to be an intercessor, the prayer council will uh, help you know what kinds of things we need you to pray for. So Joshua was 80 years old when he took up the mantle of leadership. That's a time in life when a lot of us would say, hey, let's call it quits. But Joshua said, here I am, Lord. I will serve you. And God gave him strength for the task just as he gives us strength to do anything he asks us to do. Now, there's another thing I want to point out from the life of Joshua, and that is the nature of godly leadership. By looking at Joshua's life, we see a pattern of leadership 
that is there throughout the Old Testament. And so these are things that we want to keep in mind as we are leaders in the church, and we just ordained leaders today. There are also things in mind if you want to aspire to be a leader, and these are things to keep in mind if we are people who are following leaders. The first aspect of leadership is that God chooses the leader and raises them up. Consider some Old Testament leaders. There's Moses and Joshua, Gideon, Deborah, Samson, David, different kinds of people with different personalities, called to lead in different ways, but all of them were chosen by God, raised up by God, called by God, and God let the people know that that person was the leader in some way that had to be God. Now, in the New Testament, we see the sense of call and then that call being confirmed as well. When Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, Jesus told him, you will take my message to the Gentiles. That was his call. But soon after, Paul goes to the apostles in Jerusalem, and they put their stamp of approval on Paul's ministry. When Paul and his name is Saul back then, when Saul and Barnabas are in the city of Antioch, the elders are praying together. I call that their session meeting. And during their prayers, God speaks to the elders and says, Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas to the ministry I've called them to. So Saul and Barnabas sensed a call to ministry. But then it was the elders through their prayers who said, Yes, we confirm this ministry. When Paul writes to Timothy, and tells him how to choose leaders in the church, he writes this. If a man or person desires to be an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble thing. So there's the inward call and desire. But then Paul writes, they desire a noble thing, now here's how you confirm them, and then he gives them a list of qualifications that an elder has to fill. You need both, a personal call and an alignment with the qualifications of an elder. And let this be an exhortation that we indeed appoint people who meet the qualifications. It's more important that we have elders who are qualified than it is that we have a number of elders. The church is always better served by those who discern the will of Christ. So God raises up leaders, and here are what leaders are supposed to do. First of all, they discern the will of God. In our EPC Book of Order, is what tells us that the first duty of an elder is to discern the mind of Christ. So how do we do that? How do any of us do that? Well, first of all, the Word of God is foundational because God never contradicts what He has already spoken in His Word. Furthermore, the Word of God tells us what are the priorities of the church, and there are not a whole lot of priorities. There's just a few. It's the role of the elder to make sure the church is indeed focusing on those priorities, and they are protecting the church from drifting into other areas that are not priorities. 
So the word of God is foundational. Also, the will of God is consistent with wisdom. And wisdom is laid out in the book of Proverbs. There's relationship wisdom and and listening wisdom and financial wisdom. Uh, God has ordered the world to work well according to wisdom. And so um, when we are wise and practice wisdom, um, good things tend to follow us. And also, uh, another key aspect to discerning God's will is the ability to listen to the Spirit. Now, I believe the Spirit still speaks to us today. If you read the New Testament, the Spirit spoke to people who were not apostles. So they're just laymen or they're deacons, and yet the Holy Spirit is directing them. And so... The Spirit speaks. Jesus told us, the Holy Spirit will teach you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will comfort you. That's telling us the Holy Spirit will interact with us in some way. So how do we know it's the Spirit? Well, as we read God's Word, the same person who wrote the Word and inspired it, the Holy Spirit, is with us as we read it. And so as we read it, he can lead us and give us wisdom. And there are times when we're reading God's word and we're wondering what we ought to do, and bam, something in the word jumps out at us, and we know God has spoken. Some people feel a prompting, and then that will be confirmed by others. Some people hear the voice of God, and as some people just feel a conviction. But When the Spirit moves among leaders, then the leaders together say what was said at the council in Jerusalem. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. So leadership is first of all discerning the will of God. Here's the second part of leadership. It's leading God's people where God wants them to be or where or what he wants them to do. Leading always implies movements. Now, that's the more difficult task because sometimes the people you're leading don't want to go where God wants to go. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's out of their comfort zone. Maybe we've never done it that way before. Maybe it's threatening. Maybe it's sacrificial. But since when does God tell us to be static? Since when does God tell us to do only what is comfortable or easy? I find that God often calls us to stretch our faith, to exercise courage, to go someplace where we haven't been before. If we only do what we think we can do or what is comfortable for us to do, then there is no place for courage or faith or obedience or even God. And so God often leads us into new places. And so I want us to be a church 
that is always willing to go where God leads us. And this is consistent with who we have always been. Remember Project Light, some of you who were here those many years ago? To give away your building fund? To rebuild some churches and manses in Guatemala following an earthquake? Crazy, some would say. But it wasn't crazy. It was obedience, radical obedience. And God blessed. During our 3060 celebration, on that screen was featured a, a video that, that told a story about what Eastminster had done for these 60 years. And I remember that there was a comment by the founding pastor, McConnell, who said, that church, Eastminster, doesn't know what it can't do. This is Eastminster. On our best day, we give ourselves away to the city and to the nations. And because we have, there is the fingerprint of Eastminster on every part of the globe. Sometimes, after churches have had a long history, the church reclines and says, we've done enough. Let's just rest. Let's take it easy. Let's not do anything more. That's not us. And that's not the kingdom of God. And that's not godly leadership. We always move into what God has for us. People who do this are the people who enter the promised land. These are the people who inherit the blessings of God. Now, there are other kinds of leaders that prop up in a church. We saw them in the wilderness wanderings. We saw it when Moses was leading people to a place where they didn't think they wanted to go. They were constantly complaining about Moses. They were complaining and saying, let's choose for ourselves a leader who will take us back to Egypt, even though they despised Egypt and, and suffered greatly there. But you see, they wanted leaders that would uh, give them what they wanted. And these were not true leaders. They were imposters who just promised and, and satisfied the, the cravings of the people. Those aren't godly leaders. Today, we would call them politicians. Let us be a people who will follow leaders who will lead us into God's will. Well, there's another aspect to Joshua's life that I want to point out. And that is he prefigures the greater Joshua to come. Both Joshua and Jesus have the same name in Hebrew. They are both called Yahshua. When Jesus was on earth, his parents called him Yahshua. His disciples would have called him Yahshua. Remember what that name means? God, God saves. And that is no coincidence that God told Mary and Joseph to name their child Joshua. The first Joshua was a man of faith and obedience in everything. 
The greater Joshua was a man of faith and obedience in everything, even to death on a cross. The first Joshua brought down the walls of Jericho. The greater Joshua tore the curtain in the temple that separated people from God. The first Joshua was strong and courageous. The greater Joshua set his face as flint towards Jerusalem and with courage drank the bitter cup of suffering. The first Joshua defeated the enemies of God's people. The greater Joshua defeated the principalities and powers of the cross and made a public spectacle of them. The first Joshua brought his people into the promised land. The greater Joshua brings his people into heaven. Little did the Israelites know that when they were watching Joshua, that they were getting a glimpse of who their Messiah would be, the greater one, who was also called Joshua. Joshua, it's an appropriate name for the Messiah, for it means God saves. God saves. And whenever we speak that word, Jesus, which is a translation of Joshua, when we speak it with faith, it is the promise to us. God has saved. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah, who has revealed to us and accomplished for us a glorious salvation. He has led us into the promised land, and Lord, we rejoice over this and give you praise forever and ever. We pray today for the leadership of our church. We pray that they would be men and women who seek your will, who hear your voice, who lead us courageously into the future you have for us. And we pray for those who are part of this congregation that we will, with faith, follow leaders as we see them follow you to go into the neighborhoods and the city and the nations to advance your rule and accomplish your purposes. Lord, we pray this for our church. And Lord, if you're calling us to some kind of ministry, perhaps you've never even thought of what we might do to serve you, Lord, prompt our hearts, stir in us a desire. For Lord, you have prepared good works for us to do ahead of time. We pray that we would fulfill them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.